What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and today on the show, I will be opening up the listener mailbag. It's been a while, but we're going to be opening it back up today to answer all of your spring practice-specific questions. We were considering doing a full spring practice preview episode, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we felt like we'd covered pretty much all of that, you know, all the individual position battles, the storylines, all that at the different positions with our spring practice primary series that we've run over the past two weeks. And we just kind of felt like a spring practice preview episode would just be redundant and kind of rehashing all the stuff that we covered on our primer shows. So instead, we thought it might be fun to just open up the mailbag and see exactly what you guys had on your mind and kind of take it from there. So it's, again, it's been a month or so since we had our last mailbag. So we figured you guys at this point would have plenty to throw at us. And of course, as always, you delivered with some just outstanding questions. And um, if you're wondering where Curtis is, he will definitely be back next week. But he is in the air right now, I think actually right now as I speak, uh, traveling on business. So he's just out of town. He won't be getting back until late tonight. And I have an early morning tomorrow. i got to be up bright and early. Uh, so i got to be in bed a little bit early tonight, which kind of sucks because we got the March Madness going on. I'll have to be in bed before the, the late games. Uh, so I guess I'll have to wake up and see what happens over the night. But we just couldn't make it work today with our different schedules. But no worries. He'll be back next week, and I have you guys 100% completely covered today. But uh, before we get into the questions, I do want to let everyone know that we get uh, we get a, we got a ton of questions this time around. So we're going to divide them into two shows, with today exclusively being questions relating to spring practice, since that's what we're focusing on right now. Obviously, spring practice just kind of kicked off this week, so... I'll, it's not necessarily a spring practice mailbag preview show because I guess what we've had two practices to date plus a a pro day. So there's been a little bit going on, but we really haven't gotten into pads yet. We're not going to be getting into pads until Saturday the 23rd. So hopefully we'll get a little more information coming out at that point. But uh, it's close enough to the beginning of spring practice to be kind of like a a spring practice preview mailbag. We'll at least run with that. But uh, we are going to run another mailbag show next week. That will include all the recruiting questions, all the basketball, baseball questions, all that stuff that's not directly related to spring practice. You guys sent a bunch of good ones uh, from with all different topics. Uh, so we are going to make sure to cover those. So again, if you ask one of those questions, recruiting, basketball, baseball, anything other than spring practice, we're not ignoring you. I promise we will get to that next week. So just bear with us a little bit. We promise we'll get to it. Uh, I do also want to remind everyone out there that if you want access to all of our content, including part two, of the March Mailbag that I just kind of talked about. Subscribe to our premium content today on Podbean for only $2 a month. That's it, guys, 2 bucks a month. We're going to continue to run one free show uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud, all that stuff, uh, at least one every week or two, depending on what kind of news we've got going on, uh, through the offseason. So there will be some free shows, but all of our other content will be exclusive to our very loyal subscribers on Podbean. Uh, And again, I know I say this a lot, but I'll say it again. We sincerely thank every single person who has taken the jump and subscribed to our show on Podbean. We really, really mean it when we say that we absolutely would not be able to produce this show without you guys. That's just a fact. Uh, There are production costs associated with producing and distributing a podcast. It's not a ton of money, but 
we just don't want to operate at a loss. It's just that that doesn't make you know any kind of financial sense for either one of us. So uh, we used to be able to offset all the production costs of producing the show through our deal with Dog Sports Radio, RIP, rest in peace, Dog Sports Radio. Uh, but that kind of went under, and when that went under, we had to figure out a way to keep the show going without operating at a loss. And everyone who subscribes on Podbean with their $2 a month, and we tried to price it as low as we could for it to still make sense. Um, and $2 a month is about as low as we can get. And we only get, by the way, just technical stuff, doesn't really matter. We don't get all that $2 a month. We get $1.34 out of that. Podbean takes their take as well. So... Uh, really, it's just enough. For, we're not getting rich off of it. I promise you that. It's just enough basically to cover production costs. We're trying to save up and get some more equipment so we can make the show sound a little bit better for you guys. But uh, everyone who does subscribe with their $2 a month, you are literally keeping this thing going. Uh, this is a passion project for Curtis and I. There's nothing we love or very little in this world that we love more than talking Georgia sports and giving you diehard fans the content that you crave and absolutely deserve. But again, it, it just wouldn't be possible without all of you guys. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, and if you like the show and haven't jumped on board yet, give it a shot. Uh, I think you might like some of the, the premium content that we get going on uh, on Podbean. When we get in the season, we'll have a lot of cool stuff for you guys, but during the offseason, we don't stop. We talk football, baseball, basketball, tennis, whatever it is, we're talking Georgia sports. So give it a shot and see if it might be worth the $2 a month. But uh, anyway, with that out of the way, let's go ahead, open up the mailbag, and let's get into these spring practice questions. All right, this first question is is an awesome question, and I uh, I might go a little long with this one because I, I have a lot to say about it. I'm very passionate about this particular topic, and this is from Anthony. So, Anthony, I really appreciate the question, man. Uh, Anthony asks, entering spring practice, what is your biggest concern that you hope the dogs address through the spring? Great question, important question. Let's think about this, guys. We have been close. We have been on the precipice the past two years, in year two and year three of the Kirby Smart era. We have been so close to breaking through and winning a national title. I I would say we have broken through into the elite status. We were always kind of hovering right below that status, but I think over the past two years, we have broken through that ceiling. But there's another level for us to get through, and that is becoming a national champion again uh, for the first time since 1980 it's been way too long i'm tired of opponents being able to use that against us it's it's our time so we're so close but in order for us to take that final step and actually not just get to a national championship game but to actually win a national championship game there's one thing in particular that i think we are missing and that is havoc kirby smart said it himself in his opening press conference i was so happy to hear him address it and hear him say it He wants to create more havoc. I've been saying it for a couple of years now that we have got to find a way to affect the quarterback. That is the one glaring weakness of our defense. And of course, when I say the word weakness, it's all relative to our competition, of course. We haven't necessarily been horrible at it, but we haven't been elite at it. We haven't been good enough at creating havoc and affecting the quarterback, creating negative plays on defense. And the elite teams, the teams that are winning and consistently playing for national championships, those teams... Have, they're leading almost everything across the board. Of course, you've kind of got to be. But one thing they're always good at is affecting the quarterback, creating negative plays on defense, and in a nutshell, creating havoc. And I got some numbers to back this up. I went back when I saw this question, because I've been thinking this, but I want to go back and get some tangible evidence to bring to you guys to kind of make my point better for me. So I wouldn't crunch the numbers. Now, these are my numbers. I didn't get these from anywhere else. So if you want to double check me, by all means, go ahead. I, I make no bones about that. I, I say it a lot. Uh, math ain't my thing. And uh, I, I'm sure I, I'm certainly fallible and can mess something up. But I double check these, triple check these numbers. And uh, it's pretty basic math. So I just average, adding 
uh, averaging things out, all that kind of stuff. So I think I can handle this, but this is what I came up with, right? I did three categories, sacks, tackles for loss, and an advanced statistic uh, that Football Outsiders puts together, which is called Havoc Rate, which is basically a combination of tackles for loss and sacks, negative plays that defense is creating on a game-by-game basis. So we're going to start with sacks, all right? And we're going to look at the national championship participants through the college football playoff era, starting 2014, going 2018. We're actually going to go backwards. We're going to start in 2018 and work our way back to the first one in 2014. In 2018, obviously, we just saw this is 2018 season. Uh, Clemson and Alabama played for the national title in in uh, in San, San or San Francisco, essentially uh, Santa Clara, San Francisco, whatever. Uh, Clemson, the winner of the national championship 2018, finished number one in the country in sacks. Bama, the runner-up in 2018, finished in the top five at number five in the country in sacks. 2017, Alabama, the national championship. I don't don't want to bring this up, but yes, Alabama finished. Now, this is a little, it's kind of an outlier here, but still pretty good. They finished number 13 in the country in sacks. We finished number 27. Uh, you look at number six, uh, 2016, Clemson, the national champion, finished number three in the country in sacks. Alabama, the runner-up, finished number one. In 2015, Alabama, the winner, finished number one. Clemson, the runner-up, finished number two in the country in sacks. In the first uh, college football play, uh, championship game in 2014, Ohio State finished number seven in the country in uh, sacks. In Oregon, the runner-up finished number 20. So they were inside the top 20. So let's let's kind of analyze those numbers real quick. So if you look at those numbers, again, double-check me if you want. From my calculations here, there has been no college football playoff winner in the first five years of college football playoff that has finished outside of the top 13 in sacks. Four of the five winners of the college football playoff in its first five seasons have finished in the top 10. Three out of five of the college football playoff winners have finished in the top three. And two of those five college football playoff winners have finished number one in sacks nationally. Okay, And then four out of the five college football playoff championship games, the team ranked higher in sacks won the national title. The only exception was 2016 where Clemson was ranked number three in sacks and Bama was ranked number one. So that's a marginal difference there. Uh, and also, no participant in the college football playoff championship game, either the winner or the runner-up, has finished outside the top 20 in sacks except for us in 2017. And if you look at us specifically, in Kirby Smart's first three years, we have averaged out at number 52 nationally in sacks. We finished 84th this year, 27th in 2017, and 46th in 2016. Comes out on average to 52nd nationally. That's not good enough. It's good enough to get us there, to get us the SEC title game, to get us within a game, to get us the national title game. It's good enough to get us there. But it hasn't been good enough to win games to win or to win the national title. And if you look at it, guys, again, the winners of the national title last five years, Clemson, number one in sacks, Bama, number 13, Clemson, number three, Bama, number one, Ohio State, number seven, all but one, top 10, three out of five, top three. You've got to be able to create negative plays on defense, get teams behind the chains, and you have to be able to affect the quarterback. I've been saying this for a long time. I mean, look at the NFL draft, the most important position to 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 get right is the quarterback clearly 
And I would say the the next two most important positions are the left tackle to protect the quarterback and then the pass rushing defensive end or outside linebacker to affect the quarterback. To me, those are the three most important positions in football because if you have a great quarterback, you always got a chance. So that means you have to have a a left tackle that can protect the quarterback to give him a chance. And you have to, defensively, you have to have guys that are able to affect that elite quarterback. And look, guys, if we're going to win national titles, we're going to be playing elite quarterbacks. We're going to be playing Tua Tungavailoa and maybe in the SEC title game, probably in the SEC title game if we get there. We're going to be playing Trevor Lawrence. We're going to be playing potentially Justin Fields down the road if he ever turns into that kind of guy. He's got the potential, but he's got to turn into it. But we're going to be playing elite, talented quarterback. And to be able to actually win those games, to get off the field, we've got to affect them. Why were we not able to close the deal against Alabama in 2017, the National Title Game, when two came in? We couldn't affect the quarterback enough. Why could we not close the deal in the SEC title game this year when... Tua goes out, and you got Jalen Hurts in there. We were not able to contain and affect the quarterback consistently, especially when uh, DeAndre Walker went down. Our, our best pass rusher was out of the game. We just couldn't do it, and they were able to go down the field in crunch time and beat us because we could not affect them. They had great quarterback play, and we couldn't affect them. God, you got to be able to do it. Now, let's go to the tackles for loss next year, right? In 2018... Clemson was a national championship winner. They finished number one in the country in tackles for loss. Bama, runner-up, finished number six. In 2017, Bama, the winner, finished number 11 in the uh, in tackles for loss in the country. We, as the runner-up, finished number 23. It's so not bad, but not good enough. In 2016, Clemson, again, finished number one in tackles for loss. They won the national championship. Bama, the runner-up, was number four nationally in tackles for loss. 2015, huh, lo and behold, Bama, the national championship, national champion finished number one in tackles for loss. Clemson, the runner-up in a game that came down to the wire, finished number two in tackles for loss. Hmm. Hmm. wonder how that works. And then you've got uh, Ohio State finished number seven in 2014. So as the winner, so you've got all these, all these teams right here, no college football playoff winner in the past five years has finished outside the top 11 in tackles for loss. Bama in 2017 was the only year that a team finished outside the top 11 in the first five years of college playoff championships in terms of our winners. Four out of the five college playoff winners have finished in the top five in tackles for loss. Two of the five, I take the back, three of the five have finished number one. Uh, and four out of the five teams ranked higher in tackles for loss won the, or four, I, should, I take the back, I should say, Four out of the five games played, national championship games in the past five years, the team ranked higher in tackles for loss won the game, just like in sacks. There's been no participant outside the top 20 except for us in 2017. And over the last three years, in Kirby Smart's tenure as our head coach, we have averaged finishing number 74th nationally in tackles for loss. 95 this year, 23, which was good for us in 2017, the national championship game run, and then 105 in Kirby's first year in 2016. Just not good enough. Not terrible, but very average. We have got to be able to create negative plays. We've got to be able to get after quarterback. We've got to create negative plays on the interior of our defensive line. And I've said, like, we've been solid on the defensive line. We've been good-ish there, but we haven't been great. We haven't had a Terry Beckner Jr. We haven't had a Derrick Brown. We haven't had a Raquan Davis or a Quinn Williams. We haven't had those guys. We've had good players. Tyler Clark's been a guy who has flashed the ability to be one of those guys, but he hasn't done it consistently. Maybe this is the year he breaks out. But for us to win a national title, to not just get there, but to win it, we've got to get better at creating the plays and getting tackles for loss. And then finally here, Havoc rate. Again, this is an advanced stat that takes into account basically negative plays defenses create, sacks and 
uh, tackles for loss combined. So in 2018, Clemson was the national championship champion and finished number three in havoc, uh, in overall havoc rate. Bama, as the runner-up, finished number two. In 2017, Bama was number four in havoc rate. We were 47th. In 2016, Clemson was third in havoc rate. Bama, the runner-up, was sixth. In 2015, Bama, the winner, was number one in havoc rate. Clemson was number six nationally in Havoc Great. And then 2014, Ohio State was number 11 as the champion, uh, and Oregon was number 40 in Havoc Great. So, again, let's analyze those numbers real quick here. There has been no college football playoff winner in the five years of the of the playoff that has finished outside the top 11 in Havoc Great. Four out of the five winners of the college football playoff have finished in the top five in Havoc Great. Three out of five have finished in the top three of, of Havoc Rate nationally. And then in four out of the five games played, the winner has finished higher higher ranked in Havoc Rate overall nationally. Uh, and only two out of the 10 participants, so winners and runner-ups, two out of the 10 participants in national title games in the college football playoff have finished outside the top 11. Those two teams were Oregon in 2014, finishing number 40, and then us in 2017, finishing number 47. Uh, and in the last three years of Kirby Smart's era, I guess the first three years of Kirby Smart's era, we have finished on average 60th nationally in Havoc Rate, finishing number 73 this year, number 47 in 2017, and number 59 in 2016. Again, common theme here, not terrible, but simply not good enough to take the next step and actually win national titles. Not just compete for them, but actually win a national title. We've simply just got to get better again at creating negative plays and affecting the quarterback. And I think like one of the reasons we and, I, and we've talked about this a little bit on the show before uh, throughout the past couple of years. I think one of the reasons we have not been as dominant affecting the quarterback. I think there's two reasons. Number one, I don't think we've had the personnel for. It. I mean, we haven't had great pass rushers. Uh, Lorenzo was a great athlete, but Lorenzo was never a great pass rusher. Bellamy had his moments. He had some key sacks. Obviously, the one against Notre Dame, the strip sack against Auburn in the SEC title game. Huge plays. But those were almost the exception. He wasn't a down-in, down-out threat that's going to just blow up an entire what an offense is trying to do, blow up their game plan. They didn't have the game plan for him like that. Uh, uh, we had DeAndre Walker last year, who was a very good pass rusher. I think he was our best pass rusher in 2017, and uh, that showed for the most part. And he got more time in 2018. He did battle some injuries, especially late on. I, I still say if he'd end up finishing that game against Alabama in the title game, I think we could have won that game. I, I really think losing him as our best pass rusher was a big blow for us, um, going down with that groin injury. So, you know, we, we've been okay there, but we haven't had great talent. I think that's number one. Number two, schematically, Kirby has been very clear about saying this, and you can see it. In, it, it, it what he has said has kind of been borne out in, on, based on what we see on Saturdays. He has very clearly stated that he does not want to give up big plays. He wants to make teams earn their way down the field. So if you go down the field 10, 11, 12 play drives and you're able to score, you know, tip my cap to you. Great job. But we're basically banking on the idea that teams are going to, they're, they're not going to be able to do that consistently. They might have one or two drives here and there where they're able to go that that long, but they can't do it consistently. Uh, and somewhere along the way, they're going to make a mistake. They're going to miss a pass, they're going to fumble, they're going to throw a pick, somebody's going to miss a block, something like that. And then we'll be able to get off the field on third down and get our offense the ball back. Um, so in order to make that happen, he basically has played conservative in the back end, right? Where we keep, we have a lot of two high safety looks. Now we mix it up a little bit. We'll cut, we'll run some, some three match. We'll run some man under, we do some different things. But for the most part last year, this is one of the reasons that we struggled against the run early in the year. We talked this a lot early in the year last year. We simply were not dedicating additional defenders to the box. 
All right, we were keeping, we were trying our best to keep two deep safeties back there with a two shell, two high uh, shell, to essentially guard against big plays, and that, especially against Missouri, we did a lot against Missouri because we know we, we knew how lethal Drew Locke could be down the field, especially with the receivers he had at his disposal, but. We had to guard against that with a too deep look there, and we were willing to give up some gains on the ground. And yeah, Missouri ran the ball fairly well against us, probably more, definitely better than any of us wanted them to run the ball against us. But we were willing to give them that to defend against the big play. We were able to, we were willing to sacrifice five, six, seven yards on the ground here and there to take away the 50, 60, 70 plus yard bomb that could really just completely change momentum. If you think about it, it worked. Missouri didn't hit those big plays. Yeah, they, they ground the ball on us a little bit there. They grinded on us a little bit, especially in the second half. We were able to convert some third down situations, but they didn't hit the big plays, and we won the game. It was a little closer than we all would have liked, especially late there in the second half, but ultimately, it worked out. Kirby's job is to win the football game, and, and that's how he sees it, and that's kind of how it played out. And in, in keeping with that, if you're going to want to defend against the big plays, then you do, you can't be too aggressive in terms of what you call from like a blitz package perspective or uh, perspective. We, now we did do some stuff on third down. We we get pretty exotic on third down, but on our, on our standard downs, first and second down, we were very vanilla for most of the year, and even last year too. Basically, since Kirby's been here, our standard downs were very very vanilla. And the reason is, if we get too aggressive on standard downs, bringing pressure. We're going to have to, what that's going to do is essentially it's going to leave somebody uncovered, especially if we're playing man under or some variation of man. Somebody, whoever's blitzing, their man is going to be open. So what we're going to have to do is take one of the safeties from playing deep, and we're going to have to man them up on whoever's on, on the whoever's blitzing their man, right? So that leaves us with a one high safety look. And then you're much more vulnerable to giving up big plays in those scenarios. So Kirby has simply, you know, he, he he's basically calculate that's not worth the risk but I think he's starting to to change this I think we're going to see a sea change this year and it was music to my ears in that opening press conference on on Tuesday for spring practice to hear him flat out say when he was asked basically the same question I was asked like what do y'all need to improve on this year he said havoc and I was like oh my god thank you thank you thank you I'm so glad you're seeing this because it's got to get better and so I mean we'll see when the, when, the, when the team comes out there on the field this year and we've got new coordinators so maybe he'll have some influence there I, I, but still I very much think this is Kirby's defense but I do think we're gonna get more aggressive on the early downs to tr- to basically try to get teams behind the chains so basically like when we've come after quarterbacks is on third down when we're just trying to get them off the field there we, what we haven't done is try to get aggressive on first and second down to put them behind the chains early on and get to third down like that so I, I expect to see a little bit more aggression there, but I also think that we have better players at that position that are more equipped to actually disrupt the passer from the rush in position. So that brings us to our next question. Sorry, I know it's a little long-winded there, but this is something I think is a very big deal for us. The next question is related to this. So uh, thank you, Wendell, for this question. Wendell asked, with all the pass rushing weapons Kirby and company have accumulated in the last couple recruiting cycles, Will we see the defense up their production immensely in pressures and sacks? Uh, Wendell, I think the answer to that question is yes. Um, and it's also, please God, yes. Um, and I, I think there's two reasons why. Number one, like like I said, Kirby is now focusing on it. He mentioned this to the media. He's And you know how Kirby is. He sends messages. He's like, hey, guys, we're going to work on this. We know. It's got to get better. Um, so I think there's going to be an emphasis on it, which is big. It's just like, you know, you see this a lot like one year when a team doesn't get a lot of turnovers, right? Uh, well, the next all the next offseason, they spend the entire offseason talking about turnovers. They're focusing on it. They're they're creating shirts and mottos and all that. They're, they're making a big deal out of it in practice, giving you the belt and all that kind of stuff for creating turnovers. Or I guess our doll pads now. 
uh, the spike pads, uh, the savage pads, I guess is what we call them. But, uh, you make a focus on it when you, when you identify an area of, uh, of weakness, a deficiency. And in the past it's been turnovers. Now, right now, I think we've identified one area that we are deficient in is havoc rate and getting after the quarterback. So I think there's going to be an emphasis on it. Plus there's an infusion of talent that I think is really going to make a difference. When you look at guys like Jermaine Johnson, uh, and Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson, uh, Aziz Ojolari. That's four guys right there that I feel that are better than any pass rusher we had that have that are well, that are more equipped to consistently and effectively pressure the quarterback and create havoc in the backfield than anybody we've had since Kirby Smart's been here. Yes, Lorenzo was talented. Lorenzo was never a dominant pass rusher. Yes, DeAndre Walker was talented, and he was a better pass rusher than Lorenzo and Davin were, but I don't ever think he was a dominant pass rusher. He was the best we had, but not a dominant one. Um, We had guys, going back to Leonard Floyd, Leonard Floyd was a good pass rusher. Guys, Leonard Floyd never had more than seven and a half sacks in a year. I think actually, I think six and a half might have been his high. He never had more than that in one year, so he's a good pass rusher and effective the quarterback, but never a dominant guy for us. And now we use those guys in different roles. We use Leonard in a hybrid role at times. We, We use Lorenzo in a hybrid role most of his final season. So they weren't always asked to get after the quarterback. But I think one of the reasons we didn't ask him to do that and the, and the reason we kind of adjusted our defense to look that way with that hybridization is because we didn't feel like we had the talent and the personnel to be able to just line them up and go get the quarterback. I think that changes this year. I think we have those guys. I think Jermaine Johnson, you've heard us talk about him a lot, and I'm going to keep talking about him. And I'm so excited to actually see him on the field here during the spring. I've heard so much about him from people that I know around the program who have seen these guys up close and personal. And from what I've seen in the JUCO ranks, um, he, he's going to be a beast. And uh, I actually saw him on campus. He's a monster. I just can't wait to see him actually on the field. So I think he's going to be a big piece of that puzzle. Nolan Smith, we all know what Nolan's capable of. Um, just an outstanding, freakish athlete who has a great first step, explosion, very polished for his stage. I mean, he's basically almost like in professional training at IMG, more or less. We talked about that before. Um, So I think that he is going to be a big-time player. I know he's going to be a big-time player for us. The only question is how soon can he be that guy? He's already a pretty good size. I think we can certainly use him situationally at the very least and some sort of rotation maybe with Johnson to get after the quarterback. Adam Anderson is another guy. Now, we all know the story on him. He has got to add weight to be able to be a three-down, every every down-type line, uh, outside linebacker. He's not there yet. From everything I understand, I've, I've seen some pictures of him from spring camp, talked to some people around the program. He's he's added some muscle, but, you know, he's just he's narrow in the hips. He's narrow in the shoulders. I don't know how much weight he's ever going to be able to add on to his frame. We, we've talked about this also. We've, we saw this with DeAndre Walker's first couple years. He was the same story as Adam Anderson. Could not keep weight on. That's why he couldn't get on the field, except for maybe in isolated package-like pass-rushing situations which is what we saw from Anderson last year as the year went on. Uh, but you just can't consistently play against the run because you just don't have the weight. You can't anchor against the run. So I think Anderson might follow a similar path to DeAndre Walker by the time he's a junior or so. He's going to be able to hold on that weight, but he's got to get to that point. From what I understand right now, he hasn't quite gotten there yet. But I still think he's a weapon for us, and we can still use him situationally, especially on third downs like we did last year, get creative and exotic with him, and help him just unleash him on third downs and allow this man to get after the quarterback. And Aziz Ojolari, we saw him come off the ACL injury in the Texas game in the, in the Sugar Bowl, and looked really, really good. He was still coming off the injury. Imagine how much better he's going to look this year with another offseason under his belt where he's not rehabbing from an ACL tear. He's just getting better. Um, actually gets to practice all offseason long through the spring, through the summer. God forbid he get I mean, that he stays healthy. 
knock on wood there. Uh, so I, the, all four of those guys, I think, can be big-time pass rush for us. It's a major upgrade in pass rush talent. We've got more of them. We've got a new defense coordinator I think might bring some new ideas into it. And, and look, again, we're just focusing on Kirby. We talked about how we've gone out and we've talked to other defensive coordinators around the country. We've visited with people, and we tried to figure out ways that we can scheme it up to get more pressure on the quarterback, to create more havoc. I think we're going to be able to do it. Uh, and it would also be nice to find some uh, some pressure from the interior. Guys at Tyler Clark have shown that at times. Um, but it'd be really nice. I think having Malik Herring in there gives a little more pastor to the five tending as opposed to what Jonathan Ledbetter gave us, who's a really good player. You guys know I love John. But uh, I think Herring is a little more explosive and gives a little more of a pass rush from that position. And so will David Marshall once he gets back and healthy from the Liz Frank injury. But, uh, yeah, very good question there. All right, next question from Trent. Thanks for the question, buddy. He asks, which players do you think have the best chance to be breakout players this spring and make a serious move up the depth chart? It's a great question. There's a, you know, this is the kind of question I wish Kirsch was here for, for because I would love to get his his take on this. But there's a couple of names that come to mind here for me. Uh, the first one is James Cook. Uh, you know, I, I came back from the open practice last year just raving about this dude. Like, he was the guy that flashed to me more than anybody. I mean, and good. Look, it was just one practice. I know that. Never, I don't like to overreact from one little practice, but that's you know, that's all we had to work off of. So it's almost, you can't help but overreact a little bit there. But uh, James Cook's explosive. He moves effortlessly. Such a fluid athlete, a weapon out of the backfield in terms of catching the ball. He can line him up in the slide, can catch it in the screen game, do all sorts of different things. He's a very versatile type player. We saw us use him in the jet sweep motion type stuff last year. He's a guy that I think can absolutely break out this spring, especially with Elijah Holyfield moving on. I know the knock on James Cook that he's not big enough to be able to pound it between the tackles, blah, 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 all this and that. I don't buy it yet. I've seen the guy run between the tackles. Is he as big and strong as Holyfield? No. But it doesn't mean he can't do it. His brother, Dalvin at Florida State, was a similar size coming out of high school, uh, maybe about five pounds heavier, but very similar size. And he ran between the tackles just fine at Florida State in a very pro-style offense like we've got here at Georgia. Um, there's, there are certainly some differences, but still a pro-style offense that likes to run the ball between the tackles. They actually ran some I-formation stuff that we've kind of gotten away from under Kirby Smart. Uh, but I think James Cook has the ability to run between the tackles. That's not what he's ever going to be best at, but it doesn't mean the guy can't do it. This idea that he's just a scat back, quote unquote. I just I don't know if I'd buy that. Um, he can certainly be used in that way and, the, and play that role, but I think he can also run the ball between the tackles. So with Holyfield moving on, I think he's going to have his opportunities. Of course, Brian Herrion, who's gotten more snaps throughout his career, is probably going to be the, the number two guy heading into the spring. I wouldn't be shocked to see James Cook be that guy coming out of the spring. I know he's he's similar to what we have in DeAndre Swift to a degree, but I love his talent. I think he's going to be a big-time player for us before it's all said and done. He also changed his number to number six, I believe. Or maybe not, I'll say back. I think it's number four. I think he took Nicole's number uh, from last year. I think he was number six last year. Yeah, Okay. anyway. So uh, that's one guy. Now, the other guy for me on the offensive side of the ball, actually two more guys. I'm, I'm going to go with Kiaris Jackson. Now, he's a guy that we haven't seen a ton from. I watched this guy play in high school and watched his tape come out of high school. I watched him play live. Um, saw him play some camps. This guy is a freakishly good athlete. He really is. He's got a, a, a thick, strong body for a receiver. Kind of compact, but very strong, very physical. And you know the name of the game for us for receivers to get on the field is to be physical and be able to block. Kyrus Jackson can do that. He's got good, strong hands. He's got good speed. Maybe not like Miko Hardman speed, but good speed. He's a really good athlete. He moves well. I think he could be a really big weapon for us in the slot. I think he can run some of those option routes. I think he can help us in the block game there, cracking some guys. So he's a guy that I think with with 
some of the openings that we have right now at wide receiver can really make a move. Another guy at wide receiver, of course, you all know this name, is Demetrius Robertson. Now, I don't know if this is a breakout player. He kind of broke out his freshman year at Cal, but he certainly did not have the kind of year that a lot of us expected him to last year when he transferred, including myself. Um, he just wasn't ready physically, didn't learn the playbook quick enough, and it just uh, wasn't in shape and just didn't work out quite for him last year. But he's a good dude. From everything I've heard throughout the offseason, he is working very hard. He's, he's bulking up a little bit. He's never going to be a big dude. That's just not Demetrius' body type. But he's getting bigger. He's getting stronger. He's learning the playbook. And we all know what kind of speed athleticism that this guy brings to the table. So I certainly think that with the openings we have at receiver, the guys we have moving on, that Demetrius can, will be a prime candidate to step in and fill one of those roles. I mean, this guy had 700-plus yards as a true freshman at Cal. I know it's a different kind of offense, but this dude is a serious playmaker, and I think he can certainly break out and have a a big-time spring for us and set himself up for a big fall and a big 2019 season. And on the defensive side of the ball, I don't know if this guy counts as a breakout. He might have already broken out a little bit in that Sugar Bowl game, but it was only one game. So I'm going to go with Devod Wilson. You guys, you know, if you are subscribing to us on Podbean, to our premium content, you know Curtis and I have talked about him here. We talked about him with our spring practice primer uh, look at the defensive backs. Curtis and I are both of the opinion right now that the star position is Devon Wilson's job to lose. Doesn't mean he's going to take it. He's going to win. He's going to keep it. But right now, I think he's the odds-on favorite to have that job. There'll be some competition, of course. That's what Kirby's all about. We've brought in some big-time players. There will be guys that will certainly compete with him at that spot. But I just don't know if I can see anyone overtaking Devon Wilson. And I think what we saw from him against Texas was just a little taste of what this guy is going to be able to bring to the table for us in 2019 and beyond. He's big and physical for that uh, for that position, which is what you, in the star, you want a guy that can cover. It's it's a tough position to kind of find a guy that really fits exactly what you want because the guy has to be big enough to support against the run, but also fluid and athletic enough with the cover skills to be able to cover the speedier slot guys. You've got to be able to do that. And it's tough to find a guy like that. Like, you know, Tyreek McGee can cover some guys, but he's a small dude. It's tough for him to fit against some of those guys. Uh, you look at a guy like D'Angelo Gibbs last year. I know he didn't get a ton of playing time, but you know we tried to play him. at That, that was his position with Star. And D'Angelo was big enough to defend against the run and support there, but he didn't really have the fluidity in his hips to really be able to defend some of those smaller, quicker slot receivers. So that kind of kept him off the field. So it's tough to find a guy that fits both those roles, a guy that can defend against the run and can hold up and pass coverage in smaller, shiftier, quicker slot receivers. And I think Devon Wilson has both those capabilities. So I think he's a rare body type. I think that, you know, Kirby, obviously, you know, Kirby was really high on him last spring. He was very much in competition for that job. Goes down the ACL. Kirby was devastated. I was devastated. We're all devastated because I think we saw a why on, uh, against Texas in the Sugar Bowl. This guy can play. So I think he's going to have a, a big season or big, uh, he will have a big season, but I think it's going to start with a big spring for us this year. Another guy on defense. Uh, I'm going to go to the defensive line here. I'm going to go with Devontae Wyatt. Now, he's a guy the first half or so of the season, maybe the first third of the season, two-thirds of the season, he didn't make much of an impact. There were some injuries he was dealing with about halfway through the season. But the last you know three or four games, this guy got more and more playing time. And he started to really catch my eye more and more as I was going back. As I go back, when I rewatch games, guys, I, I rewatch them multiple times. And each time I watch them, I'm focusing on one position. So I'll start and I'll, I'll watch the quarterback the first time through. And the second time through, I'll watch the running backs and the receivers. Then I'll focus on the offensive line. Then I'll focus on the defensive line. Then the outside linebackers, inside linebackers, secondary. I, that's what that's how I do it. Uh, it takes a lot of time, but I go back and do it that way. And when I started watching the defensive line, the first half of the year, he didn't really flash me at all. 
the last three or four games, I started to see a lot more out of Devontae White. I think he's a guy that can, can give us, talk about havoc rate, can give us some pass rush and some explosiveness from that defensive tackle position. It will also push guys like Tyler Clark and Julian Rochester. Uh, so he's another name just, just to watch out for. I know we have some upperclassmen there, but I certainly would not uh, write off Devontae White making a big impact for us, uh, at least a bigger impact for us on the defensive line this year. It might be a guy that can step right in uh, in 2020 once Clark and Rochester are gone. Uh, so there's a couple names for you guys. Uh, next one here from Bobby. Thanks for the question, man. He asks, which position battle are you most intrigued by this spring? Great question, man. Appreciate it. Uh, for me, the first one here, and I kind of talked, you probably can figure this out by how much time I spent talking about it earlier in the show, and that is the outside linebacker, specifically the Jack outside linebacker, which is the, if you guys didn't hear us on the, if you're not subscribed to us on the premium show, uh, Podbean channel, uh, I kind of went over the difference between a Jack and a Sam outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme. The Sam linebacker is generally the guy that's going to be playing more so on the line. He's going to be anchoring more against the run. Comes off the field in, in obvious passing situations when you go to your nickel, uh, especially when you go to your dime packages. Whereas the Jack line outside linebacker is like your your premier pass rusher. That's what DeAndre Walker played last year. Um, so that position for me, I think, is very intriguing because number one, we got to find somebody, uh, and I think we have multiple options. And I think we have guys that are very talented and all bring a lot to the table. You got a guy like Jermaine Johnson who might be the total package, big and strong enough to, to hold against the run, but also can get after the passer. Um, he's got great length too, which is one thing I really love about him. You got Nolan Smith. We all know what Nolan's capable of with his explosives and his size. There is his polish at, the, at, at this at this uh, stage in his career, at a very young stage in his career. And Anderson, who I said coming out of the 2018 class, I thought was the best pure pass rusher in all of America. And now he knew he needed to add weight and get bigger. But as a pure pass rusher, what he was able to do at Rome High School, uh, man, the guy was elite. And I think he's gonna he's gonna factor in at least situationally this year. And then I was really impressed with what I saw out of Aziz Ojolari. I didn't know what how, you know what he would be once he came back from the injury, but we saw some good stuff in a one game setting, small sample size to be certain. But I think he's going to factor into the race as well. So that for something you throw Britton Cox there, although I think Britton Cox is more of a Sam linebacker for us, but there are a lot of options and a lot of elite options, highly ranked options that will um, certainly be putting their best foot forward. I'm very excited um, to see what happens during the, the G-Day game and as we get into fall camp as well later on in the offseason. The other position, uh, now, of course, I would say running back uh, because, you know, we have DeAndre Swift. We know he's probably going to be number one, almost certainly. But behind it, like, who's going to be the holy field of this year? Uh, but honestly, right now in the spring, I'm not as intrigued by that because I don't know if we have all the, the all the pieces that are going to be healthy and ready to compete. You, we're going to basically have three guys, three scholarship guys. You're going to have, Deon, you're going to have um, DeAndre Swift. You're going to have Brian Herring. You're going to have James Cook. Those are three guys going to be taking the carries uh, because Kirby made it clear on Tuesday during the press conference that Zeus, Zamir White, has not been cleared to go with full contact yet. He's going to be running on the side doing some little drills like that, but nothing serious. Uh, and then we've got um, Prather Hudson, who has been a, a solid walk-on for us, who's hurt. He's not going to be partaking in the sprint. He's not a factor in the, into the position anyway, but still just a body. And then Kenny McIntosh, the guy that we signed in this 2019 class, he will not be on campus until the summer. So I'm going to wait until the fall. I think that's going to be more so of an intriguing battle in the fall. Not as much right now. Uh, but the next one that I'm kind of intrigued by right now is the center on the offensive line. I think there's a couple of options. The Trey Hill is pretty clearly going to start. That's the word right now that he's starting the spring as the starter. 
but there are options behind him. You've got Warren Erickson, Jamari Sawyer is going to play a role in there. He'll certainly be in the in the mix. And you've got true freshman Clay Webb, five-star freshman from Alabama, Clay Webb, who will also be a guy who gets some looks at center. Right now, the leader of the clubhouse, I do think is Trey Hill, but I think it's a pretty open competition. So I'm very interested to see who really takes a hold of that job. Can Trey Hill hold everybody off? Or somebody like Jamari Sauer, who's a really talented player who just need to learn the system last year after not being able to enroll early, coming out of Pace High School, which does not allow early enrollees. Um, I, I think he's ready to make a push. So I'm very intrigued by that because I think that's an important position for us, especially our, as much as we like to run the football, our offensive line is key. We all know that. Uh, and we have four or five stars coming back. The one position we don't have a star returning is the center position. So I'm very intrigued by that position. Uh, so yeah, there's a couple for you. Uh, the next one here from Nathan. Thank you for the question, sir. Uh, Nathan asks, which starter on defense from last year is most likely to be overtaken? Is it Grant at outside linebacker, one of the inside linebackers, or does Otis Reese beat out the count, which it looked like it might happen several times last year? Uh, honestly, Nathan, I think both of those are possibilities. Walter Grant getting beaten out at outside linebacker. He's another guy that I should throw into the outside linebacker ring. I, I haven't seen him be uh, anything close to a premier pass rusher, but he's at least another guy that's going to throw his hat in the ring as well. Uh, Otis Reese is a guy that did get more and more playing time. He was playing situationally late in the year. Really, you started to see it in the Kentucky game for the first time where he was coming in there. There was word, I remember I was in Lexington for the game at the hotel the night before. It was just going through social media, message boards, all that stuff. And then the word started to leak out that he was going to get his first start against uh, uh, against Kentucky that day. And so I was going to the, going to the stadium thinking, oh, man, Otis Reese is going to freaking start. Like, dang, man, this is crazy. Somebody hurt? Like, what's going on? And he did not. Actually, I believe he, I don't believe he actually ended up starting that game because it was based on package. I think LeCount ended up starting that game. But Otis did get in there in certain situations. You can see he was in there in a certain package. He got in there plenty that day, and he kind of kept playing that way throughout the rest of the season. So he did earn more playing time at Richard LeCount's um, expense as the season wore on. But I'm still not ready to give up on Richard LeCount. I think he's an incredibly talented and athletic player. He's put on, from what I understand, some good weight. Uh, he's gotten thicker through the arms and the chest, from what I understand. And uh, he is a guy that I still think is an extraordinary talent back there. He's just got to become more consistent from a tackling standpoint. He did it early in the year, but he kind of just fell off there. He was a big hitter in high school where you kind of just lay people out by like throwing your shoulder into him. Well, you can't exactly do that in the SEC. And I think he figured that out last year. So I hope that he will improve. And I expect him to have a big bounce back year. Not that he was bad last year. He just wasn't consistent, I guess what I would say. But Otis is a really good player too. Otis uh, is a guy that has a reputation, kind of like the count as just a, 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 a headhunter out there, which you can't really exactly be anymore in college football with the targeting rules. But he's a big physical guy that I think he actually could fit at star potentially. That uh, There were some worries about him coming out of high school in terms of his ability to cover guys consistently in man coverage. But I, I'm not sure how valid those concerns are. What I saw from the guy, now is he a guy that can go out there and play corner? No, he's not that kind of fluid. But for a safety, I think he's got plenty of fluidity in his hips. I think he's got plenty of coverage ability. And to go out there and not be a liability for us. So I think he'll certainly compete with Richard, but right now I'm still giving Richard the, the head the, or the, the head start there. For me, I, I do think if you're talking about on defense, what starter is most likely to be overtaken, I think it's Walter Grant. Now, Walter Grant did not start the entire season. I think he started eight games last year, but he was a starter for over half the season. So we'll call him a starter. Uh, and the reason I'm going with that is, number one, I just I think he's a good player and he's a good talent. I don't think he is the talent as some of the options that we have brought to the program this, this past year. I don't think he's as talented as Jermaine Johnson. I don't think he's as talented as uh, Nolan Smith. I don't think he's as talented as Adam Anderson or Aziz Ojolari. Now, he does fill a different role in terms of him being able to play out in space and kind of hybrid star outside linebacker role that Lorenzo filled. But he's not a Lorenzo-type athlete either. He's a good athlete, but not a Lorenzo-level type athlete. 
I just honestly think he's going to be passed over because he's been over uh, he's been over recruited. I I think that's what happened. We've just kind of recruited over him at this point. He'll have a role, but the facts kind of bear it out. Through most of the year, the first seven games of the year, through the bye week, through the LSU game, he was playing about thirty percent of our snaps. The last. Uh, the last five games of the, of the regular season, that number went down to just a little bit over 20% of the snaps. So there was a pretty significant drop-off from the beginning of the year to the end of the year as some of these guys got healthier, they got more looks, especially Adam Anderson started to improve a little bit. Because uh, Anderson can play, I think Anderson can play that role. I think he can play that hybrid role. Now he's got to be coached up to do it, um, but I think he has the athleticism to be able to do that. And that's something to kind of just watch for as this season continues to progress, as we progress closer and closer to the season and we see what happens on G-Day. I'll, we'll kind of vanilla on G-Day. But uh, yeah, so I, if I had to pick one guy, I would go with Walter Grant. I think he's the uh, the odds-on guy. That If somebody lost their job on that was a starter at times last year, it would probably be him, in my opinion. Uh, all right, next one here from Benjamin. Uh, who will flash on G-Day, offense and defense? Thanks for the question, man. Uh, I mentioned him earlier. I mentioned both these guys earlier, but I'll throw them out there again. I think if you're looking for somebody that's really going to catch your eye on G-Day, I'm going to go with Demetrius Robertson, who's now been in the system for a full, uh, close enough to a full year, who knows what we're doing offensively, or at least should have a much better idea. He's got a little bigger. He always has the speed athleticism, the great track speed. I think he's a guy that could certainly make some plays on the field for us on G-Day and flash for us. And I'm also going to go with James Cook, the guy who completely flashed more than anyone for me at the open practice last year, the first time I had to, see eyes, to lay eyes on him in person. And I think he could have a big spring game, especially with there only being three scholarship running backs uh, that are healthy in going through spring drills. I think he'll get a lot of looks. I think he'll make some plays for us. Uh, defensively, I'm going to go with a combination of Nolan Smith and or Jermaine Johnson. I think one of those guys as the rush uh, jack linebacker is going to uh, to flash at least a time or two and show us what we might be in store for, hopefully, please God, uh, this 2019 season. And then I'll also throw out Channing Tindall and or Quay Walker. These are guys that I was on last year talking about how how much more talented I think they are from an athletic standpoint than uh, either Tate Crowder or Monty Rice, who are good players in their own right. They are. They're not. I'm not trying to say they're scrubs. They're not. But I just think Tindall and Walker, when they, when the light goes on for them and it all clicks for them athletically, they're just superior talents. And I think that we'll see some of that on display on G-Day. Now, they might not always know exactly what to do, especially Walker. He's still very much learning that position. But I think those guys uh, will certainly show you why they were as highly recruited as they were from time to time uh, during G-Day. So watch out for the guy, those guys. Demetrius, Cook, Nolan Smith, Jermaine Johnson, Shane Tindall, Quay, Walker. All right, a couple more questions here, guys. Uh, next one here. This is a good question, interesting question. And we, we talked about the defensive line on our spring practice primer. I just, and I'll be honest, I, it was my bad. I goofed. I totally forgot to mention this guy. Uh, this is from Matthew, so thanks for the question, man. He asks, what have you heard and what's your opinion on Notori Johnson moving to the defensive line last year? Do you think he will ever make an impact or will he just be a depth guy? Uh, this is an interesting question for me because typically, typically, there's always exceptions like a Lamont Gilliard. Typically, when you see a guy make a move from one position to another mid-career, uh, it's it's not usually something that works out very well. And I, honestly, I don't like guys moving like that because you just never really get good at one position. We saw like Richard Samuel was a guy who was a super athlete, but he just moved back and forth, linebacker, running back, linebacker, running back. He just never really found a spot. Maybe that was because he was a tweener. I don't know. But when you move guys around like that, they just never get comfortable in one spot. They just never really grow enough. I like to leave a guy in a spot and let him grow. Now, if you think there's no chance that he's ever going to play at that spot, then okay, make a move. And maybe that's what we saw or seen with Notori Johnson. And let's be honest, guys. I think he's another guy that we just maybe 
recruited over in our with, our, with what we've brought into the program at the guard position over the past couple of years with guys like Trey Hill, Jamari Salyer, Cade Mays. Um, we've just recruited some elite guys at that position. And honestly, Notori just might not have been good enough to really compete with those guys at that position. Um, now, can he compete for a spot on the defensive line? I'm not going to completely write him off because one thing Notori has, and he's kind of a goofball, um, which is okay. It's good to have some 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 comical uh, some, something some kind of humor about you, I guess. But uh, I guess the knock on Notori has been throughout his career that maybe he doesn't take it as seriously as some other guys do. And I don't know the guy at all, so I can't speak from experience there. That's just something that I've heard. Uh, so that's completely secondhand knowledge and hearsay. So, you know, rip me for it if you want. I'm just kind of putting out there what I've heard. You guys ask me on this question, like, what have I heard? That's kind of what I've heard. Um, where some of the other guys come in, like Cade Mays, and just he's all business and wants to play. Um, so it's partly that, but I just I, – I don't think he was ever really going to play at offensive guard. And he's not a guy that can really slide out and play tackle. He doesn't have that, posi- that, that ability on the offensive line. But he is athletic uh, and quick. He's got good feet. So with that in mind, like it's not out of the question that he could become a pretty good defensive tackle if he really takes it seriously and puts his best foot forward and tries to learn that spot. Because we don't have a ton of elite guys right now. At least they haven't shown the ability to this point to be consistently elite guys that position. Where he might be one of those guys that could be one of our more explosive interior guys on the defensive line if he can learn the position. So it's hard to project right now if he's going to make an impact or just be a depth guy. Uh, I do think he's going to have an opportunity, especially in the spring with guys like Julian Rochester and Mikhail Carter both being out with injuries. He will have opportunities to get a lot of reps to improve and then opportunities to show what he can do once he gets in scrimmage situations. So like, I, I'm open to the the idea that he could potentially make an impact there and be at least a, a guy that could add some depth there and get some playing time, spell some guys. Um, if I had to project predict right now, like again, I'm open to it, but if I had to choose between him, him being an impact player or being a depth guy for his career, I would probably lean towards him being a depth guy at this point. Again, I'm not closing the door on him making an impact. I think it's possible he does have good athleticism, good quickness and footwork. But um, it's just I'm always hesitant to say when one guy moves from one position to another that he's going to make an impact. It happens. It happened with Lamont Gillard moving from defensive line to the offensive line. But it's it's typically pretty rare for that to happen where a guy moves, makes a move and then um, becomes a big-time player at that position. It happens from time to time. But I mean, Oklahoma State had a receiver like that last year, the guy that uh, uh, Lane Kiffin offered when he was like an eighth grader. And he ends up playing receiver. It was a great player for them, um, and it came in as a quarterback. But So it happens, but I just wouldn't count on it, I guess, is what I would say here. All right, next question, uh, next couple questions here. Actually, the last two questions, I should say. The other ones we're saving for our part two of the Mailbag series. So last two questions for our spring practice mailbag here are from Cliff. Thank you for the questions, Cliff. We always love it, man. Uh, Cliff asks, will the punting improve dramatically? One of the most underrated aspects of the team is having a reliable punter. Uh, I definitely agree with you there, Cliff. You got it. Like special teams, I always think is underrated. Like it's such a critical part of the game. It's always underrated. And punting is even more underrated than like kickers, you know, because you can just have some like tangible, hey, he's made 13 of 15 uh, field goals this year or whatever. He's, he's, had touchbacks on 92% of, of his kickoffs or whatever. Now, punting, you still can rate things. He's kicked so many inside the 20, inside the 10, whatever, hang time, all that kind of stuff. But those numbers just aren't, I guess, as commonly discussed as the kicking numbers are. But it was an issue at times for us last year. And maybe that's relative to what we were in 2017 with Cam Nisley, who came in as a grad transfer. Uh, we were ninth nationally in punting. 
in 2017. That was a, a very underrated aspect of why we were good and able to make a college football playoff run. Um, whereas last year, we dropped with a true freshman punter, with Jake Kamard, who I think is a very talented player, but as a true freshman, we dropped from 9th to 42nd nationally in punting. So, I mean, that doesn't tell the whole story. You're just looking at, like, punting yards because sometimes, you know, you're asked to kick it, you know, you're asked to do a sky punt where you're inside, like, the 50 or 40, and you want to try to pin them down. So, of course, you don't, you're not trying to put your entire leg into it. But still, you go from 9th and punting to 42nd. That's a pretty obvious drop there. So we certainly need to get back closer to the top 10 like we were in 2017 if we want to compete for national titles. And I think that's a certainly realistic possibility this year and an expectation I think that we can have with Jake Kamard, who is a highly recruited kicker and punter coming out of high school at Norcross High School. Um, he's now a sophomore with a full year of starting experience under his belt. I think it's fair to expect there to be some improvement. Now, maybe it won't be a top 10 level improvement with him as a sophomore, but I think we can certainly get inside the top 20 after being outside the top 40 last year. So I do think that we can expect that, Cliff, and maybe we'll bring some, we'll have some competition there as well. Uh, all right, last question here from Cliff again. Thanks, man. Uh, why isn't there more hype surrounding Jermaine Johnson? Nolan Smith seems to get all the attention, but it makes no sense to me. Um, that's a really good point, Cliff. Uh, now, if you listen to this show, Curtis and I, we talk about Jermaine Johnson a lot. Uh, whenever we talk about outside linebackers and pass rushers, we're talking about Jermaine Johnson. You guys know that. But I do think you're right. Um, in the more broader dog nation world, uh, Nolan Smith certainly gets more pub and attention than Jermaine Johnson has gotten. Um, but like, to me, it, it actually kind of makes sense to me. I, I, I mean, to me, it's all about the hype surrounding Nolan Smith coming out of high school as the number one ranked high school prospect, according to the 247 composite. It's always a big deal. When anybody can tie the number one player, that's going to get hype. And and Nolan's not a guy that came on the scene late. Like he's been that highly ranked for years now, and he's been committed for years, or was committed for years before he actually ended up signing. So when you're looking at a guy like Nolan Smith, you know, and he was a guy that liked to play the game and keep us guessing and all that, even though he's always committed. He still likes to have fun with it. So there's always conversation about him. We, we knew his name for a long time. He's been highly rated for a long time. So that name just kind of carried some cachet with it when it came into the 2019 class, especially when you're the number one player. And then on the other hand, Jermaine Johnson's a JUCO guy. And let's be real, for the most part, with a, with a few exceptions here and there, JUCO guys are generally, generally afterthoughts and they in terms of a recruiting class. And they just typically do not get the hype and attention that the high school prospects do, even though... Like in my mind, a JUCO guy is typically more physically ready to make an immediate impact than your average guy coming out of high school. Now, Nolan Smith, I think, is ready to make an impact right away. I mean, like I said, he's been training at IMG almost like a professional for a couple of years. So I think he is way more advanced than your average high school prospect coming out of high school, hence why he was ranked number one. Um, but Jermaine Johnson, I think, guys, is going to be legit. I really do. I could I could be wrong. I'm open to the idea of me being wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Maybe I'm wrong about this. But everything I've seen, everything I've heard about this guy is that he is going to be a major player. It screams that. So um, I'm with you, Cliff. I think Jermaine Johnson right now, I'm in that 6'5", six, 6'6", six, 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 six frame, long arms, explosiveness, a great first step, a, a good variety of pass rush moves, a good repertoire there. Uh, I think he's going to be a big-time player for us. I think Nolan will too, but I think Jermaine might actually have a bigger impact this year. But if you're wondering why, Cliff, like why is Jermaine Johnson getting more, uh, or why is Nolan Smith getting all the attention, it's just because he was the number one ranked high school prospect coming out of this class. Uh, and he's been on the, the scene, on the radar for us for a long time, whereas Jermaine Johnson kind of came on a little bit later. And it's a JUCO guy, and those guys just don't get as much love, generally speaking. So uh, there you have it, guys. That is... Our spring practice mailbag preview edition of the Glory UJ podcast. 
I really appreciate you guys sticking out, sticking it out here with me today. I always feel weirdish doing these solo shows. Um, it's kind of weird just like talking into a microphone yourself and having a conversation with yourself. But I hope it comes through all right for you guys. I did my best. Tried to tried to hold the fort down while Kurt's out. But uh, he'll be back next week. So be looking forward to part two of the mailbag. Talking about some recruiting, basketball, baseball, a variety of different topics in the world of Georgia sports. So again, thanks guys for listening. I'm Tyler. If you haven't subscribed on Podbean, please go ahead and give it a shot. It's $2 a month. If, and there's still time to send in more questions. So if you got more questions to send in for this uh, part two of the mailbag, send them on in, guys. You can hit us up on Twitter, at glory underscore UGA. Uh, if you're wondering how to subscribe to us on Podbean, just click on our Twitter profile, at glory underscore UGA. The, the link there in our profile, it'll take you straight to the Podbean page. If you're on a computer, look for the yellow Buy Now button on the right side. Click that, put your information in, boom, two minutes or so, you're completely good. You don't have to have an account, create an account. It does it all for you. If you're on a mobile device, click that link on our Twitter profile. Scroll down the bottom, that same little yellow buy now button will be there. Same process, quick, easy, minute or two. Create an account for you. You don't have to do any of that stuff and you are good to go. And Definitely help us keep this show going for as long as we possibly can. But um, Alright guys, that's it. I'm Tyler. I'm out of here. Kurt will be back next week. Thanks for listening. As always, go dogs!